ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Competition is Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of Heart in the Paint with David Grubb. And today I'm joined by my friend, my colleague, my buddy, my pal, uh, Mr. Ali Kosell, the editor-in-chief of The Bird Rights. We're going to have some basketball talk for you today. Ali, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing great, David. It's always great to talk to you, and it's been a while, right? I can't remember the last time we've actually done a podcast. It's been at least a week, I feel like. I know, but you and I, by ourselves, it's been longer than that. Oh, so right. it's, it's yeah. like we haven't really, you know, that was why I wanted to talk to you because we haven't really sat down one-on-one and digested a lot of what's happened over the last uh, couple weeks. So, um, all right, let's just start with it. Alvin Gentry gets released um, from his coaching duties, you know, basically – the moment the tuck the clock ran out in Orlando. Um, first, I don't think either of us were surprised. It would have been surprised either way. I was a little surprised at how quickly they did it, like not allowing it to get back home or anything first. I just, I was surprised how, how just very quickly they cut that cord. Yeah. It seemed like the rumors popped up as soon as the Pelicans last game ended uh, to where they unceremoniously finished the Orlando bubble record two and six. And of course, effort was the biggest gleaming, you know, problem factor, whatever you want to call it during this whole thing. Cause every game was talked up to be a playoff game to where it's meaningful. And so we expected that these guys at a minimum would bring it. And unfortunately they didn't David three blowouts in the first six games when things still mattered. And there was, you know, suspect playing some other games as well, you know, including the opener where, I still lament, you know, 16-point lead getting thrown out the door. So a lot of bad things happen. A lot of bad things transpire. So I found it a little bit cute to think about before this all happened, people were saying, whatever happens in the bubble, it's not going to affect any of the decisions going forward. Well, I'm telling you what, this one certainly did. You know, I know Griff kind of side-skirted saying it's been really a whole process in, in evaluating what Alvin's done over the course of the year and moving forward. But let's face it, that was a big stain for Alvin on keeping his job. To where I'm almost positive that was kind of like, we're going to let you go now instead of maybe giving you until next year, at least till the next trade deadline, you know, give him a few more months on the job. Yeah, I think it was, for the Pelicans, it was a public embarrassment for all the talk that happened about the NBA staging this so that they would have the opportunity, that they had the easiest record, that da, 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 and then to have it not, not just lose, but the manner in which they lost. Um, I think Griffin was embarrassed. I think Gail Benson was embarrassed to some, some degree. Um, and I think the, the franchise was made into a joke again, uh, a place where they have struggled to get out from under the shadow for the past year. And Dave, let's be honest. I would say Alvin was embarrassed, right? We know him. We've been around him. So when the team does not perform well, he's always tried to avoid throwing them under the bus. And we saw that. We sensed that with these games here in Orlando to where you could tell just with his questions on the whole Zion Williamson restricted minutes on how he chose to answer them. Basically pointing kind of the finger at the front office, right? Ask them. I don't know. I'm just doing what I'm being told to do. Stuff like that. So you got the vibe that, of course, Alvin wasn't happy with just everything on how it came together. So, I mean, we should probably move on. But for me, you know, Alvin just – I want people to understand he's a good coach. And he, he's obviously still looking for another job. As, if you just go to his Twitter page, he's talking about – he's left, I guess, some kind of note saying, I'm, I want to work again in coaching or something like that. But you also – if people didn't see it, there was – I think he made an appearance on Get Up or one of those morning talk show programs. And he talked about feeling kind of blindsided, kind of feeling – being surprised, right, mm-hmm. by, by how quickly he was let go – because, you know, let's face it, David, he made the trip to Orlando in the middle of a pandemic, age 65 and all. And we were wondering, all of us, will Griff let him go regardless of what happens? Why would he put him through that to begin with? Right. You know, all these questions. And so for all that to happen, you know, I think Alvin was legitimately kind of taken aback. I'm just curious when Griffin finally made his decision. But in the end, it really doesn't matter. They've <laughs> let go. They've parted away. So we should move on to. Yeah. And, and- 
I will say this, and it's not a question, but more just of a general wonderment, I guess. Um, uh, at one at one point, someday down the road, I would love to know what the decade was like from the time the Bensons took over for the, what it was like for Monty, what it was like for Dell, what it was like for Alvin, all these things from someone who ever puts that together, the great journalist who does it, whether it, maybe it'll be you, and then just put together because that story is, is it, there is an amazing story there. And you know that we both know that there's more and we just don't know where all the dots are to connect. But there, there's just things that you saw that, that you know why a team is what it is. Yeah, why, is the, why have the Pelicans been so mediocre when they've had a top five talent seemingly ever since Chris Paul got drafted, right, David? I mean, it, it, it's, it's shocking to me when you really think about it and look back. Why couldn't they have had any kind of sustained success to where they made multiple playoffs in, say, three years and been relevant in, you know, discussions of not maybe finals contenders, right, not getting all the way to the trophy, but at least being talked about more often. And that never happened. So you do have to wonder, right, what went wrong? Because it's more than just bad injury luck, like some people have always tried to right. point you and, and, and other things. So, yeah, I think that would be a great story because I think there's definitely something more to that. Okay, so as we move into the offseason, we know that there is a tight schedule. Um, the Pelicans – didn't we didn't expect them to get great news out of the lottery they they're they're staying where they are um four picks total 13 in the first round um and then 39 42 and 60 in the second so not a, i mean in this draft <laughs> i mean let's start there is there anything to be really excited about in this draft if you're the pelicans or are you still i mean i'm of the mindset that what do you need more kids for at this point? Yeah, that, that's a really great question. I'm taking the approach of this team does not have the talent it needs to be a consistent playoff performer from 1 through 15. So, yes, I think any draft can help no matter how poor it is stocked with talent, including this one. So you have to hope that the Pelicans can strike gold. Because seemingly in every draft you find, you know, teams unearth gems, right? Regardless, like I said, of the talent. So picking 13th, you hope that the Pelicans can fill some kind of void. And so that's why I've honestly been drawn to, like, the taller forwards, David. Well, the yeah. taller wing players. And that's why I've mentioned Sadiq Bey, uh, Devin Vassell, and um, Naismith as my, you know, preferred three for this team at that pick. Because you can always use more shooting. But oh, you and I are so tired of the six foot three, six foot four guys out there and seeing Alvin be forced to trot out three guard lines because let's face it, those are usually his best players, right? So I'm, I'm ready for that change. I think, I hope that the front office as well. Now, if they can identify another good talent, maybe a Tyrese Maxey, you know, who is about six foot four, or maybe one of the big men that people don't know much about, somebody maybe from overseas, then fine. But please, I, I think that there is something out there that they can find that will help this roster undoubtedly. And the question for me, Dave, is going to be, can they develop it? You know, I'll be honest with you. I am overall looking back on this season disappointed with Jackson Hayes and Nikhil Alexander-Walker's development. I know the backstories, right? Hayes was supposed to be redshirted. We know how raw he was. And for Nikhil, he had his flashes, but, he, you know, he had his things where he couldn't overcome with temperament and all that, but there's hope that he may have you know, with, with his closing remarks this season, talking about how he's realized certain things. But again, when you just grade it in vacuum, you can't be happy with what you saw of those two rookies this year. So, you know, can the Pelicans, you have to wonder, can they develop talent? Because, you know, Zion, for all the spectacular things he did, David, tell me why he didn't improve defensively on the glass. I mean, you, we can maybe delve into it by going pointing at Alvin, but overall, I have – there are some issues that people need to understand. It wasn't just coaching here with this team. It wasn't like saying Derek favors. Let's look at everybody because there's accountability to be had everywhere. Yes. And I am, I am of the, the mindset that, um, you know, when we talk about coaching hires and we talk about those types of things, this is the part where I – this is the part of the offseason I hate because I am – any name that we pick, and I think people, you know, get get think that I'm trying to hedge my bet or something, but any name that we pick, 
any name the Pel- Pelicans select, whoever gets hired, there's going to be a large segment of people who say that's a great hire. And there's going to be a large segment of people who say this is an awful hire and this person should have gotten this. And then they will base it on some random set of results. And that's all we're doing here because coaching in my mindset is a combination of timing, luck, skill, and, and talent around you. And organizational st- structure, first and foremost. So defining who the next coach is, is going to help determine what kind of players you want to bring in. Mm-hmm. And David Griffin has to do some serious soul searching this offseason to say, this is what it means to be a New Orleans Pelican. Whether you're in the ticket office, whether you help park cars, whether you sell popcorn, whether you're a player, whether you're the general manager, whether you're me, um, David Griffin. There has to be a singular mindset, and that still hasn't happened yet. That click hasn't happened yet. David came in here saying all the right things. Definitely, I feel like, made all the right hires. If you just look at people's resumes and such, to comparing it to the past, what New Orleans has had, right? So, like, the Langdons, the Cashes, the Aaron Nelsons, you have to applaud them. But, yeah, David, this hasn't been talked about enough to where – he also came up, I think, or at least probably gave the final nod on won't bow down. So, great. I, I respect wanting to have an organization that exudes toughness, that has a certain mindset, especially one that we've never seen before out of this New Orleans franchise. But then when you end the season with firing Alvin Gentry and basically saying the habits weren't good enough, what does that tell you? It basically tells me that this whole well, won't bow down was really all nothing but just a slogan because mm-hmm. you did not follow through with it. If on the last day of the season, you're talking about not even being able to get to step one, right? Which was a lack of effort in that bubble for whatever reason. And then talking about how like you are the sum of your habits and right now they're not good enough. So <laughs> I, I want somebody to explain to me or better yet, show me where you're going to go from here. So you're absolutely right, David. Whoever David Griffin hired, as, as a head coach has to be so lockstep with him because it's obvious he wasn't there with Alvin no matter right. what people know about their previous relationship the fact you know you're connecting those dots they were together in Phoenix that they're good friends it doesn't matter it didn't translate for the Pelicans on the basketball court you know we know that Griff was unhappy at numerous times this season with both the play of the Pelicans and some of the coaching that took I think Alvin was unhappy that. with some of the front office decisions that were made. And again, it's not personal, but that's the push and pull of coach and executive relationships. Yeah. And we, we should have expect, we, we can always expect that from a losing season, but for the first year of Zion, right. That this transcendent talent who we saw with our own eyes really do amazing things. Yeah. He's limited defensively with his knowledge of the game, but the physical prowess was there. So then you combine that with all this other youth that there was so much hope for. You know, it it still leaves me wondering why I feel so, I don't want to say empty, but so unfulfilled, David, on this season. So, yeah, whoever they bring in is going to have to somehow, as you always mentioned, you don't make up an identity. You have to kind of basically create it out of what the front office wants, what the head coach, and the talent that you have, right? It all has to fit. You can't just say, we're going to be a run-and-gun team, and we're going to do X this, X that. But if you can't carry out those orders, or if you're just losing by trying to play a certain style, then what good does that identity do, right? So I think that is a step one. Pelicans are basically, to me, beginning at that front step. You would have hoped it would have happened last season. But I feel like, honestly, guys, we're back at square, you know, square one. Until they find toughness. And I'm not talking about schoolyard bully toughness, but physical and mental toughness. That, those two things are in short supply with this franchise. It has been the case for some time. And I think a lot of the end statements about this roster over the course of the year from the players themselves revealed why this does not work, why it has not worked. When somebody like J.J. Reddick says, this is the quietest team I've ever been around, <laughs> and then you ask at the end of the year why there's a vacuum of leadership. And it's always been like that, David, right? It's always been like that. It's never been a vocal team, not in the years that we've been there. They may be vocal with each other as friends, yeah. but on the court, no. Not when it's business time, no. No. There's no – there has been, never been someone who has 
surge to the front of the franchise and seize that mantle, not since David West and Chris Paul. And you hate to say that, but that's the kind of player. I'm not talking about the person in particular, the name in particular, but people, two guys who said, this is our basketball team. We are responsible for its success and failure, even more so than coach. We love coach. But there was an accountability among those three guys with Tyson in the group. But Tyson clearly was not the leader of that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Chris Paul was physically and was willing to take on the same challenge physically that David West would and that, that Tyson Chandler would. And we're seeing that now in the playoffs still with Chris Paul a decade later. David, who, besides like a role player like J.J. Redick, who's been the toughest guy the Pelicans have had since that era? The toughest? Just, this is a good question to ask, right? And so, if we kind of think about it for a while, what does that say? <laughs> the toughest? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the toughest one who's been here year after year that you could kind of rely on. I mean, None. you want to say Drew Holiday, right? I, I want to say him. But, but he's not the – he's not – I wouldn't say mentally he's the toughest. I would say mentally he's the most even-keeled in that things don't make him, him go one way or the other. But I wouldn't say in the hardest moment – of a game, I'm going to look at Drew Holiday and say, please lead us home. That's, I would never do that. Yeah, I mean, for all of his faults, it's funny how to me over the last 10 years or whatever, that the, the best I saw this team play and with fire is when they had Rondo. Even though he wasn't even closing out a lot of those games, those wins, to get down into the playoffs during that whatever month and a half stretch. I feel like the, the team honestly exuded at least the most fire I'd seen, right, since the CP3 days. And it's because I feel like honestly because Rondo was there, right? We know. He took the air out of that room. We, we've learned so many things since that time about what Rondo did for Anthony Davis, for Drew Holiday, on how in each game he would give them goals or tell them what to do or to look at film, right? I can't recall any other player known to do that, at least consistently, you know, like, like we're saying, since Chris Paul. So I hope that changes. I mean, that has to change. Not I hope. It has to change. Stuff like that. And who's that guy? Because ultimately you have to decide who the untouchables are on this team. And in my mind, there are 3.5 untouchables. Zion Williamson, Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart, and Lonzo Ball. Lonzo Ball is a half for me because I'm waiting to see if last season carries over the good part he comes back mentally and is able to become that. If he's not, Lonzo can be moved too. But those other three guys, if those are the guys I'm building around, would you agree that's the core you start with? And then among those three, you're one of either Ingram or Zion has to become the leader of the franchise. Easy, hands down. If you're going to make them both your cornerstones, one of them has to jump up and grab the mantle of being the guy. Personally, I think it's going to end up being Zion. I mean, we've heard about his, um, like some of his locker uh, halftime speeches or something like that. Like, I'll never forget the one where the Pelicans were getting destroyed by the Mavericks, to where I think it was like a 46-point loss or something along those lines. And we had asked Alvin, you know, in, in the following practice, um, and I asked basically straight up, looked him in the eye and said, did anybody like, like care? Did anybody like really have a problem with that loss? And he, he mentioned Zion, and Zion hadn't played a game yet. And he mentioned how Zion was really outspoken uh, to whatever he said to the guys. We don't know what he said, but that was good enough for me to understand that at least Zion's probably going to be that guy, right? We haven't seen enough of it yet on the court. Like, for instance, David, when they're down, we don't see him with the pep talks or like when you need to get a stop. We don't, we haven't seen like that kind of energy out like, of him. I'll, I'll take this on. I yep. will get this stop. I will get this basket. That demanding of, no, everybody get the over there. Give me the ball. I'm going to do this. That's the next thing for Zion Williamson. And we've seen it out of B.I., but only on the offensive end. Right. Like he's more than receptive to get the ball late and, hey, I'll try and win this game for us. But defensively, he hasn't been there. And so that's got to change as well. But it was good to read Christian Clark's latest piece to where B.I. basically told the coaching staff, I want you to train me. I want you to make me like, you know, they were talking about, I guess, Jason Tatum or other elite forwards kind of, in Brandon Ingram's timeline in terms of, you know, his experience level, but that they're honestly that much ahead of him right now, right? Because they're performing on both ends of the floor and their teams are winning. So it's great to hear that Ingram wants the same and he's willing to do it at all costs. So at least it seems like 
theoretically, he should be on the right track. But until, like, like you're saying, Dave, until one of them actually seizes that mantle, it's hard to see this team make the strides and be a consistent playoff performer. Because let's face it, if both of your guys are going to sink in all your money and you're going to create all the fanfare around them, mm-hmm. who's going to lead you to wins, right? Because the bottom line, it, it, it's how does it impact winning? And if it's not one of those guys, then you made a mistake. You're going to have to then obviously move on from one. But we're getting way ahead of ourselves. We're not there yet. Just like with Lonzo, I'm glad you said 3.5 uh, in terms of core pieces you want to keep because there's too much of this fan base that is ready to move on from him. And I think that is so wrong. All this year was supposed to be was an evaluation process. But get, get this, they're still all 22 years old. It's still going to be like that. Lonzo is not going to be the player he's going to be until he's at least 25, I feel like. So if you're the Pelicans and you're obviously young, you're not winning tomorrow, you're hoping to win someday down the road, but you're supposed to be getting a really good core together, watching them grow. I don't see how Zion has done – or, excuse me, Lonzo has done anything to not be included in that conversation yet. You've already alluded to to the numbers were there. We saw a flash of, I want to say it was at least three plus months to where he, if he plays like that most nice, you're keeping him long-term for, for as long as you can anyways, if the money works alongside Zion. So, yeah, I mean, but it is four people and you love Josh Hart. Everybody I hope by now understands what this guy brings to this team, both on and off the court. He does have that fire. He does have that, that, that something that we've talked about has been lacking forever in New Orleans. And I'm pretty sure Griff sees that, right? David, we were there at the press conference where he, he got introduced. Griff said, look, I had multiple people call me thinking they could pry Josh Hart off of that AD trade, offering first pick, first round picks, and he said no. So it's good to know that I think Griff realizes that. So, yeah, he's got to keep Hart no matter what. Yeah, you, you don't find super six men like that, guys who can shoot, defend multiple positions, um, rebound at, at the rate that he does as a guard. Those are just things you just don't – you're not going to find on the free agent market you, you, when you already have it on your roster. You don't let it go. You just you just have to have him. He's he's literally their PJ Tucker at this point. Like that's well, the kind fine. of role that he that he's filling is do everything for us. What we ever we ask you to do tonight, that's what you may have to do. That's his job. And he wears all those hats. I love that, David. He's out there for just two minutes and he's trying to make a play every other second. So he's guarding James Harden. Then he, you know, forces him into a tough shot. But then he's running to crash the glass. Usually gets the board over a bigger guy. Then he's the first one running the ball up the court in transition, right? He does so many good positive things, even though it doesn't always result in the score. He'll make some mistakes. But there's nobody else on this roster that comes close to providing what he has. I mean, I, I, I'll i leave the other one in my head because you know where I would go, but I'm going to let it go. I'm going to okay. let it go. Uh, <laughs> um, so – then that leaves just everybody else on the roster This potentially mm-hmm. is up for grabs. And I think that that's important to if whomever, again, takes this, the uh, head coaching job, that they have that opportunity to shape the roster as they des- desire for, for as long as it's in conjunction with what, what management wants. I think there needs to be an understanding that everybody isn't going to stay. No. Because it's a great point. How many young cores that are drafted together or within like a span of a couple of years stays together and goes to a championship? <laughs> I, I mean, outside of like maybe the Lakers, you know, back during the, you know, Magic Johnson days, and then, you know, they drafted Byron and, you know. Yeah, but they already had Kareem. You started yeah, with Kareem. Kareem. Rambus kind of got at it. They drafted Worthy. Yeah. But for the most part, yeah, David yeah. – so when you look at this core, Zion, Hayes, Nah, Didi, don't become too attached, guys. Most likely two of the one, four are going to be gone. Most likely it's one makes it out of that group. Only one really makes it, right. So they still have a long way to go. I just – what I want to see – and here's the thing. We're talking about coaching and who they need to bring in. Obviously the number one thing you want out of coach, that he's going to be able to get the most out of his guys while also being able to develop his players. Now I hope people understand. Alvin, I thought actually, and at least his team – did a wonderful job of individually developing talent, you know, I feel like here in New Orleans. You saw enough strides made with the young guys to where that was a positive, but you need, of course, do more than that. And so, like I said, that's what I'm hoping for, but he's going to be the biggest key for me, David. What pace are you going to play with? Not just identity, but pace, all these questions. For me, I've lately been thinking about this. What if we don't try and push the pace as fast as possible in New Orleans? I know you've got Lonzo. 
He's made for the open court. You've got Zion, who's a freak. But let's take the other approach. What if you want to actually cut down on the turnovers? You actually want to field a legitimate defense. And let's say you want to prolong maybe Zion's career. Wouldn't it make sense to explore the other side as well? To me, yeah. Look, the things that the, the weaknesses of this team as presently constructed, it's not a great defensive rebounding team. It is not a great defensive team. It is not a great half-court team. Um, and it turns the ball over too much in, in open court. So there's things to address in every layer, but I think the first step of that is pace is impacted by how well you play defense. And the Pelicans have not embraced that. That was and, – and when we talk about Alvin – if you do, you know, he always stressed that they weren't going to be taken seriously until they played defense. It just, he did not find the message that resonated with this group and didn't for, and did not find the way to make it work on a night to night basis. Um, and teach these guys how to do it for whatever reason, that doesn't matter. He's gone. If they don't have a defensive identity, if they can't stop people from making it a track meet to run through the paint, like the numbers that are in my article today about David Fisdale. And it's not just about David Fisdale. It's about just the defense of the Pelicans how bad they are at stopping people from in the fast break, how bad they are in stop changing ends when they turn the ball over. That's, that's where they have to start is just stop giving up so many easy baskets to your opponents. I mean, <laughs> just think back to the bubble guys, most recent games to where the Clippers jump out to what is an 18, three lead um, other teams. Why? Because the Pelicans amassing five, six turnovers in the first quarter. And then, of course, on top of that, having other um, mistakes made on the court to where they're not defending well when it's not a turnover opportunity for the other team or, you know, executing offensively, right? So, I mean, th these are all things we're harping on for a young team that's a given. But you still need to go somewhere. You still need to find the strengths of this roster. And I don't feel like they did a good job of that. Even though, yeah, top, people always like to point, well, look how they did from December, middle of December to uh, March 11th, whenever the pandemic hit. They were top 10 offense, top 10 defense. But honestly, it was only like a point or two, right? If you're looking at 100 possession, or was it? the yeah, points per possession. It's really close, guys. It's not like the Pelicans were suddenly this great defensive stalwart no, Boston no, 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 Celtic no. team, right, for three months. No, no. They were just a few points better at limiting opponents, right? So let, let's keep this in perspective. They were never really great at any one thing all year, other than, honestly, for me, Three-point shooting. Yes. That was probably the biggest surprise all year. Yeah. We did not expect them to be as good from the outside as, that they, as they were um, in hindsight. And I think that they over, that ultimately ended up being the thing that affected the construction of the rosters, that they were so worried about having enough shooting that they didn't get enough size. And I think that that, that impacted the Pelicans ultimately down the road as well. So we'll see how that happens like, or how that transpires with the, uh, the roster moves this offseason. Isn't right, Darius Miller. I know the only reason he was retained was for that fear of lack of three-point shooting. Right, you really only could count on each one more and JJ Redick coming into this season, um, and they were both role players. So I kind of guess Griffin's thinking at the time, but now definitely you you don't want to have guys like that anymore on this roster. You don't need to try and maybe hope that Kenrich Williams finds a three-point shot. Now, this guy's a guy that's actually really good defensively, can actually control the glass, play multiple positions. You know, no, no more of these experiments going forward. That, that's all I want to see, right? Jaleel Okafor did not work. Kenrich Williams did not work. Bless all their hearts. Great guys, great char high characters. But if you want to put on a winning basketball team, you're going to need to do more than that out of, you know, people beyond your starting five. Yeah. So, if what – the primary areas of need, uh, what, here's my order, one, two, three, and let's see where you rank. Your, I'll let you go first. Rank your uh, priorities, one, uh, one, two, I'll three. Let you go I know we're going to be the same. I think we've talked about this. My position, I would say, number one is uh, someone who can – a wing who can defend. Yes. Number one is a wing that can defend. Um, 1A, right. yes. 1A is a big that can, can protect the paint. It's, they're not that different as far as on the Pelicans' list of needs. And then my third would be a veteran point guard because they have not had a consistent vet at that position for the, except for that hint of Rondo that we had. So, um, yeah, they, they seriously – that has been the downfall of a season for the Pelicans at least three times in the last six years not having a dependable backup point guard. 
We talked about this at the start of the year, David. I remember completely harping on having a dependable big behind Derek Favors and a point guard behind Lonzo Ball because we knew Drew Holiday doesn't want to be that guy. Frank Jackson's never going to be that guy. And you look at everybody else on that roster. They're combo guards, guys. They're not point guards. You can't ask them to run an offense. And we saw what happened when they tried to do that this year. They, they have to be able to find a way to create offense with their second unit that is not ISO or in transition. If those are the only two ways they can get it with the second unit, they're in trouble. And so the next coach is going to have to figure that out. All right, now let's go back to Orlando for the playoffs, um, as I'm calling it now, summer madness, since we don't have March madness and we get like four games a day. So now it's summer madness, you know, kind of pay some homage to the cool in the gang song too while I'm at it. So in the West, Looks like the Lakers are finishing off Portland. Port. I, I was Damian Lillard had been this fantastic story. I had gotten swept up. I admit, I said that I thought Portland would win this series in six. Whoa, and now, you did? I don't yeah, remember that. Yeah, I did. Oh I man, Preston. Preston's gonna love you. <laughs> so I take the public beating on it. I'll take the flogging. I said Portland in six. I said it. So I was wrong. I'm wrong. I I I, I am wrong. Yeah. But, I picked Lakers in five on that one. I picked Lakers in five. Looks like it's headed that way. Yeah. They, I, I thought that, that um, C.J. McCollum would play better. Yes. He, he has not played great Well, basketball. Gary Trent's fallen off a cliff, right? They've yeah. lost dependable production elsewhere that they had during the seeding games. So, yeah, can't all And then good. losing Zach Collins again, it was like, geez. You know, it's like you needed – all of that. You needed everything to go right. They're really missing Ariza too, Dave. Yes. They're they needed and Hood. They can't They're stop. Yeah, they can't stop anybody. So, yeah, it just – it fell apart. The and Lakers scored apart. 80 points in the first half of the last game, and they've got nobody around LeBron and AD. I'm no. sorry. That's terrible. <laughs> no, it, it was one of those things where you hope, okay, you get the momentum because the, that, the, that the Lakers' wheels would fall off. But Portland's wheels fell off so much faster that the Lakers got to got to stop worrying about their own shortcomings. And we're just like, oh, well, they're they're really bad now. We can go right through these guys. And that's what they've decided to do. There's they have no answer. Portland really now has no answer for even whatever big the Lakers bring in the game. So no. Um, Utah up three one on Denver. This is my biggest shocker. I had picked Denver to win like in five, maybe six. David, to see Utah come out with a game plan to where Rudy Gobert is now suddenly a two-way guy for them. Donovan Mitchell is basically flame on the whole time, making smart decisions, coming up with key buckets, you know, looking invincible out there almost, right? We've seen that glimpses during the regular season, and he's shown in his career. But, man, what Utah's doing and how Denver has not been able to slow them down and to where I feel like – you know, this series is already over. I know that it's not over yet, theoretically, but I think Utah's got them. They've honestly looked that much better, right? Denver got lucky to win that first game because Murray, you know, got caught fire, had right. to take that game in overtime, and he upended, you know, Mitchell's 57-point performance. Oh, my God, was that a performance? But, you know, Donovan's gone on to have other great performances. where Murray hasn't been as consistent. And, of course, they haven't gotten, you know, anything else they've really needed from that rest of their guys, right? As to where, you know, Joe Ingles, Mike Conley's come up big, right? I feel like, yeah. boy, he's, he's probably played better. Ball. Yeah, than he had played for most of the season. Mike Conley is, was a disappointment to me. David, doesn't it feel like we're seeing the team that a lot of experts picked once Utah traded for Mike Conley of being a dark horse to emerge? Just imagine if they had – But you just imagine if they were healthy or if they oh, had – Edward Bogdanovich. Woo. If they had Bogdanovich, man. Maybe oh legit scary for the Clippers or the Lakers, hands down. Oh, oh, definitely. That would that if if Conley's playing like this, and Mitchell's playing like this, and, and you've you got just a had, no defense, you know what you're getting out of Ingles, and yes. you, you you get to run that pick and roll with Ingles and Bogdanovich. Oh, that they'd be sick. It, it would just be a problem. Do you think this leads to some big changes in Denver, though, as far as their personnel goes? Because yes. I think they reached the peak with this group, yes. and they tried the whole we're building up these young guys too. Well, you've only – again, you can only raise so many kids at once. They're perpetually stuck, I feel like, in this, yeah, we've got a great bunch of great young guy core, and then we're, they keep flipping young guys for more young guys, right? I mean, that trade to Minnesota where they got rid of Beasley and Herman Gomez, you know, and look who they replace them with now in the starting or in the rotation, Bol Bol and Michael Porter Jr. 
all these guys are talented. All these guys can play, but it feels like, are they ever going to figure out a good core alongside Jokic and Murray? And are those two pieces that you want to keep together for the next seven years? I'm not sure, right? They haven't shown the ability to take that next step. Like everybody keeps lauding them to do with the upcoming postseason year after year. Just hasn't happened. I don't think it will, honestly. Because what is Jamal Murray? I don't know. That's the question. Because people think he's Devin Booker. Yeah, no. And he's not Devin Booker. It feels like there isn't that much difference between Jamal Murray ultimately and Buddy. You know, at the time we were like, should it be, you know, there was this big conversation about Jamal Murray versus Buddy Hill, and now it's like, they're about the same guy, really. Yeah, because where else are they impacting you, right? Right. No. Are they playmaking? No, right? I mean, they're both undersized at the position. How's this for a nice little comparison? Kind of giving you what Michael Red gave those Bucks team year after year. I'm not saying the same player. Right. I mean, but he's not even really even Michael Red because Murray's not giving you those 30, 40s on a regular basis. Red could get hot and was an all star, an Olympian. I don't see that for Jamal Murray at this stage. I think that's his peak, though. That's why I mentioned him because I do think. Murray, his shot is so sweet, David. And he has figured out a way how to score in the paint or get to the free throw line, something that I wasn't sure he'd be able to do in the NBA. So on offensively, j- just from a scoring standpoint, I have no concerns with him. But it's everything else that he brings to the table. Right. He's not, he's not a foundational star. No, it doesn't look like it. It feels like he's a complimentary, solid complimentary player. He could be a starter on a championship team, but he should not be the top three on a championship team. I don't see him as that guy. Yeah, but let, we'll be fair. He's still a young guy. He may figure he out. Is. But it does feel like he's – But it feels like he would never be higher than the third. Yeah. He would no. never be the second or the first best player on a championship team. A lot of people, David, are saying they'd rather hang their hopes on Michael Porter Jr. than Murray going forward. How do you his feel about ceiling that? is higher. Yeah. I think talent-wise, his ceiling is higher. I think you're seeing about what you're going to get out of Jamal Murray at this point. But the thing is, if you do – again, the same uh, problem is – now you're pushing back Jokic again if you say Jokic and Michael Porter Jr. This is our foundation now. We're going to build around these guys. Because you, you had Millsaps as your vet, and yeah. you had these other vets, and now those young guys are all at the stage where they're going to start getting needing to get paid a little bit more. So to keep your bench deep and all these things, they're in a weird position. I don't, I don't envy where they are. I thought that – this kind of was a make or break year for Denver um, as far as like deciding if Mike Malone and that philosophy and everything and that group of players, they're going to have to shift direction somewhere if they want to keep going forward or else they're just going to be old. I mean, Grant, are they going to resign him? I feel like if you're going to go with Jokic and Porter Jr., you've got to have somebody like Jeremiah Grant there, hands down. If you pay him the money, then I mean, how else are you going to fill out the rest of your roster? So yeah, they, they've got a dilemma, but they're going to have to, I feel like, break up that team going kind of a different direction. Um, the best series has been the Dallas and Clippers series. They played a night game five in that game one. <laughs> um, this is an awful matchup for, for the Clippers for some reason. And Porzingis isn't playing again tonight. There's no Porzingis again tonight. Yeah, but they don't have Beverly. And Paul George has been pandemic P. <sighs> This whole thing about him calling himself playoff P, boy, has he fallen on his face. And I'm sorry, you made all these comments talking down, you know, who, Damian Lillard before the playoffs, and now he's talking trash with Luka and whoever else. I'm sorry, but Paul George, you, you're, you're worse than a replaceable player right now, right? He's not giving Kawhi or that team anything. He's just a jump shooter. And if his jump shoot's not jump shot's not going, he's worthless to you. What about right defensively? What he's about not doing anything. Why not saying I am going to stop Dantich tonight? I'm going to stop him just for a quarter. They, I, I could not get over how many times he was able to switch them off easily, get a you know Reggie Jackson or somebody on him, and get an easy bucket down the stretch for Dallas. That's inconceivable. The to Clippers me have to stop switching everything. You can't switch everything with Doncic. You have to stay in – you put your primary defender on him and you stay Throw with the Damian Lillard defense on him, right? Throw two guys at him at half-court line to get the ball out of his hands. Right. He's not, he's not enough of a three-point threat at this point. No. If you make him pick up the ball earlier, he's not going to shoot that shot. He's not going to start taking 40-foot threes. That's not in his game yet. So why 
Yeah, I don't understand why you let him handle the ball as much as you have if you're the Clippers. Crazy. And you cannot I'm switch. Really you either, I double him. If anything, I'm doubling, doubling, doubling. Absolutely. If, if, if I, it, rather than switch, because I want the ball out of his hands. That's all I want is the ball out or of his Jimmy hands. Smith, Kleber, all those guys that shoot it, just like the Pels did with Amino two years ago in the playoffs, right? When they ripped it out of Lillard's hands and CJ's. I don't understand why the Clippers haven't done it. Hopefully they'll make that adjustment. Otherwise, I think they've got a real chance of falling to Dallas if they keep playing like with the same strategy for the rest of the series. Yeah, I think they are. It's weird that they are in danger. And this is one of those things we talked about this weird bubble because Dallas still isn't playing good defense. It's not like Dallas is doing anything. They just. No, they just play hard, David. You notice that they yeah. totally exemplify Rick Carl- a Rick Carlisle team to me. They I- give a damn every night and they try. Seth Curry plays with a little bit of toughness, a little bit of edge. I love that about him. Oh, remember right? when he was – Hardaway. Hardaway's more than just a jump shooter, guys. You can see it with his actions too. So I really like the way they play together. I really like that team. Oh, the only thing bad about Hardaway is the contract. That's, that's the thing about Hardaway. You get, the Knicks overpaid for him, and, and it's just a bad deal. But other than that, yeah, it's just that they don't have a legitimate perimeter stopper either defensively. They don't have, and they don't have a point yeah, guard. It's not that guy. They want him to be that guy, but I don't think he is. And they don't have a point guard. They, the ball has to be in Luka's hands so much because nobody else can create off the dribble. For Seth, Seth Curry can do it a little bit. He was doing bit. that in the last game. A yeah. little bit. But, but he's more of a second unit. Out there, it's amazing how they got, got, got so many points right against yeah. the Clippers. I cannot believe it. Bad, bad philosophy. Okay, this and then my this you, that was your favorite series. This is that's my favorite. favorite. The Oklahoma City yes. Houston series has just been weird. I picked OKC to win it. Honestly, to upset the Houston Rockets beforehand, and I was feeling pretty stupid when the Rockets went up two nothing and looked like the thoroughly much better team. But you know what? It's two two. And, and uh, this is where the, the three pointer comes in again. You watch them, and the Rockets are shooting this incredible percentage. They go over 50 attempts, and they were they looked like they were going to break the record by the third quarter. And all of a sudden, cold. Right. They made cold. eight in a row. Cold. They went up 16 or something. I thought that game was over. <laughs> and they, nope. they don't, But they weren't hitting them again. And, and that's the thing with this. The Rockets are always going to be in that position, is that if you shoot Anybody. that many threes, the math is going to even out – at some point, you're going to hit 50% of them for a second, but that average is going to come back. And when it comes back, it's at the wrong time in the playoffs because over seven games, this is what happens to you. Teams like that, David, cannot win 16 times to win a championship. No, sorry. I don't care what Maury and his math says on terms of how many points you're going to be able to squeeze out of every possession by playing religiously a certain way. It's just not going to happen. If you're and the Lakers, you're good. You're, you're honestly not legitimizing enough what other teams do well and stopping them. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, when Stephen Adam turns into a beast, right, and, and this guy can't move, but like molasses, but if he's beating you up on the offensive boards, you see Shea or even Gallinari crashing the boards, that's a problem, right? You're suddenly allowing this smart team to fill in where they can take advantage of you, and they have done that in these last two wins. So I still think that Oklahoma City, especially more than ever, are going to win that series. The, uh, and Westbrook probably is not going to play in game five. Um, I would imagine. I, I don't think that they want to have him out there. With the money that they have tied up, there's a lot of business decisions that have to get made with some of these players because of the, the season coming back so quickly. You can't have Russell Westbrook get hurt and have to have a surgery this offseason. Mm-hmm. What's, what's wrong with him exactly? I've already forgotten. What is his knee? What's wrong with him? Yeah, it's a knee. And so, I mean, you know, they they were talking about it, you know, Kenny Smith, and I think, you know, it's Kenny and Charles, all of them, they said, there's a big difference because you know what you're doing before the game. The drills are set and you know exactly I'm going to do two dribbles and I'm going to come up and explode and do this. So if that's not the game, that's not the reaction. So just because you saw him out there, you know, and we've seen it enough. We saw Zion practice for like, it felt like three weeks. It felt, that's what it felt like you know, before he ever took the court again. So um, I don't know if Russ will be back quick, but even if he is, if the Rockets keep deciding that they're just going to, they're going to shoot their way past Oklahoma city. I mean, he saw it. Chris Paul only had three assists and they cut on that. Terribly. Most of the series, I feel like, and for them to be two, two Schroeder, they have no answer for Dennis Schroeder. Love that kid. And wait yeah. till it gets better. The biggest question to me is going to be what's OKC do. If you're Presty, 
and you were you're basically focused on the future, right? So you were probably looking to flip Chris Paul. What do you do if you advance to the second round with this team? I don't give it. I, w- I wouldn't give away Paul this offseason because I don't think you're going to get value for him. Resign Gallinari. Yeah, run it back because you're Oklahoma City. You have all these assets down the road. This isn't the draft for you. If you're Oklahoma City, I feel City, like Preston move on. But that's the biggest the reason why I find them interesting, David, because the Pelicans are going to need some help from above them on some team getting worse. It could be Denver, but I think it's more likely OKC if they don't run it back. But I think that if the, if the, again, if you keep Paul, it'd be again to a championship team that's ready to take him on. And that won't be before the season starts. Cause would you know, who's going to know at this? It's so weird again, not knowing where the NBA is going to be played. We don't know where, we don't know how, we don't know the dates. I think the commission is going to push it back to January or February if he can. And he said that. So he wants fans in the building. So yeah, who knows how this, any of this is going to look. So I think this it's, it's why be in a rush if you're a GM to make any decisions. No, I just hope he keeps OKC together. There's something about that team. And let's face it. We know about closing out games because one year the Pelicans happened to do well, and that's when they got in the playoffs. And the other time they've been terrible at it, and they just shoot themselves in the foot. But this OKC team, boy, did they come through in the clutch. So I want to that kept together. For OKC, to me, it's not just the close wins. That's what people focus on is the close wins. And, I, and you and I have talked about that in the past, where close wins are – Okay, but if you have too many of them, that's not a long-term predictor. Well, it's not yet. Yeah, you can't rely on it. But right. I think OKC can because you have but, a Chris Paul. You have the, a lot of bets. Yeah, the thing that – the, the one that I like about them is the comebacks from 15 down, that they lead the league in wins when they're down by double digits. You suck to see that they get down, but that's what – you have a team that has this weird fitting group of players that on paper doesn't look like it should work. But – they have the, the toughness, that internal fortitude as a group to make adjustments. So that says something about the coaching. It also says something about the players, that they are responsive to coaching and that they understand what they're supposed to do in a deficit. They don't lose their, their heads. They, they still, however the minutes shake out, they figure those things out. And so that maturity level is something that you'd like to see in New Orleans. It's just that you don't have that. And that's the difference between having a team that believes it can win a series against the Rockets and having a team that goes two and six in the ball. Yeah. I mean, I know that one's not over and I guess Russell won't play like you said, but man, I I just, I I like this OKC team. I've said it all year. I I said it before the playoffs start. They're the ones I'm watching that if anybody's going to pull off an upset, it'll be them. The East is basically this already yeah. advanced. So we got Miami, Toronto, Boston, and, and Milwaukee. Yeah. Milwaukee's going like to Milwaukee's all cool. year. Yep. Or, yeah. It's Philly, so, yeah. Philly, Indiana lost his forces, right? And then Philly, you know, they imploded as expected. I did not expect anything else from Philly. I, know. I did not expect always, anything else. always been against them. I thought last year they showed something to where, honestly, it was a lucky bounce. They could have really advanced far in the East had Kawhi Leonard not made that lucky shot, right? I still think you don't give up 100% on Embiid and Simmons, but I think you do have to move on from one of them if you want to be realistic and smart about it. I think the biggest mistake they made was giving Tobias Harris, Tobias Harris a max deal. Oh, no, no joke. The, the, the decisions they've made since they let Hinky go is just astounding. You, you cost yourself Jurek and all Butler. Losing, David, to set yourself up with these assets – to suddenly then spend on these undeserving, you know, contracts, let's face it. And then you kept the wrong guy. You should have kept Butler, who had that type A personality that Embiid needs, that Simmons needs. But instead, you keep Tobias Harris. Dude, dude's Drew Holiday. He's a tough player. He's a great player, but he, he's not Jimmy Butler. That's what they need. And he's they not – yeah, they needed somebody who could take charge. And like you said, Al Horford. Fultz. What is up with an Al Horford contract? That is insane. <laughs> you, you sign a guy that doesn't fit into what you're trying to do at all because you know that Horford has to play center. He's not a power forward anymore. You let J.C. Reddick go. I mean, <laughs> I don't understand. What I, I don't, you let everything go. They have nothing essentially to show for any of those deals that they made. They have nothing. They don't have Robert Covington. They don't have it. You don't have Jimmy Butler. You've got nothing. Right. All the pieces you, you need around Embiid and Simmons if you're trying to make it work. Um, unbelievable. Yeah, they should, like, I mean, I, I think they should just they, – they need to restart everything. Firing Brett Brown was going to happen. But I'm sorry, Elton Brown – or Elton, Elton Brand, Brand, one year, 
I'm sorry, he didn't make enough good decisions where he's even earned a second year from me. I don't know. And it, for, yeah, Elton screwed that up. I mean, it, I, I don't understand Tobias. It's just Tobias Harris, dude. There's a reason he's been traded so often. There's a reason. It's because he's fine to have, but you don't make a commitment to Tobias Harris. You just don't. No. You, you don't. I, I, I can't get over the Horford deal myself either. Yeah, that it's bad. <laughs> and I, I'm not surprised the Celtics didn't do it because that's just too much money to pay Al Horford. If you want any of the Philly pieces, like if you're one of, if you're David Griffin and you got to think Philly's itching to make some kind of big splash, maybe is there anything that interests you there? Nope. Because none of those guys that I that I, I mean I take shape, you know, Milton, but. No, I'm particularly looking at either Simmons or Embiid nope. for this roster. Because they're bad, they're bad for, for business. If you're trying to create a culture of guys who are going to be tough mentally and physically, are either one of those guys that to you? Joel Embiid does not – you're talking not about Embiid. you – Ooh, not Embiid. I, we've argued that in our group chats. That's my biggest thing about him. I hate his effort level, right? He doesn't give it to you. He won't give you a full half a season, I feel like, right? let alone right. a full season where you can rely on him. So. And, and if you bring in Simmons, why are you just getting a supersized Lonzo Ball? Another guy that you're trying to recreate his jump well, shot and give defender, him confidence. Right? He's a defender. He's a ha- handful. I like him alongside, like, say, a Zion and an Ingram, right? Where you in abstract, ball, but defender. do you want him in that locker room? Do you yeah. want him in the huddle? I don't think so from what I've heard. We've kind of heard, right, those rumors about him being a true clutch Type of client. Is he elite? Right? Can, can you call him a more for himself and get himself into that next position? That next he wants to be famous. Yeah. And and have you seen anything out of Ben Simmons that shows that people want to follow him? No. And David, what the hell is up with it? Not dude's an NBA player, and you know what you do? You score, you shoot. What's up with him not shooting outside of like six feet? And your coach tells you if your coach says, "I'm telling you, you have to shoot this many threes a game," and you don't do it. What it yeah. tells you it tells you a lot about both Brett Brown and Ben Simmons. I don't want to deal with Ben Simmons. And ben Simmons has been this guy since I covered him at LSU. He is about Ben Simmons. And I'm hey, that everybody's gotta David, do what they gotta do. So theory from you is the reason he doesn't shoot uh premier shots is because he doesn't want to look bad. Like he doesn't want He doesn't want to do anything that makes him uncomfortable. Okay. He does not like being uncomfortable. He does not like being in the post because he doesn't want to post up because it doesn't make him feel comfortable. He wants to be – the reason he likes to be in the center of the court with the ball in his hands is because he can see everything that's coming at him. He does not – anytime where he's put in a position, you don't see a lot of Ben Simmons great passes out of double teams, out of things like that. It's him looking ahead because he's using his size. He does not, when confronted, when forced to make decisions in that regard, that is not where he excels. Like he use if he can't use his size and his natural speed and stuff to his advantage, yes, he's got great vision, all those things. He's got tremendous touch. He doesn't want to use it around the rim. He refuses to post up. He refuses to to just learn a, a basic fadeaway jump shot, a basic fadeaway. Doesn't even have that in his repertoire. So if you can't do those things, how is his game going to age when he isn't able to turn the corner? I don't understand. Supposedly he practices the, these uh, jumpers. Every day. It's here, though. It's, it's here. In the game, I just don't understand it. This many years in the NBA, I don't get it. So he sounds too much of a basket case. You're right. Something's you wrong upstairs. Him. You can't rely on him, probably. Yeah. I do want to end with this because I didn't want to start with it because I felt like it was coming out of it would just be an awkward transition. But it's something that we've discussed offline before. we discussed on pods before. Um, but it comes back into the news now um, with the shooting of Jacob Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Reportedly, he's paralyzed from the waist down. He is still alive, which is um, something to be thankful for in and of itself, that he is able to still walk amongst us um, figuratively um, in the situation of him being unarmed, shot in front of his children, trying to get into his own car. A number of players are upset. Um, George Hill had some very strong comments. Jalen Brown said he can't even look at his own jersey net right now because all it makes him think of is getting shot seven times. And then you have Fred Van Vliet today um, who said there are a lot of things on the table that players are discussing, including boycotts. Um, my mindset was that I didn't want players to go down there from the beginning. Um, the conversation is still going on from black, white, anybody all about whether or not this was a good idea uh, just 
what you, as a journalist, as as a person, how do you feel right now in, in what the players are saying and, 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 and their sentiments? I'm listening to every word they're saying because they're right. This just alone is, is such an infuriating, unbelievable, unfathomable, horrific tragedy. But when you put it in the backdrop of everything that's happened since George Floyd's murder, I mean, I know you should go all the way back. But let's face it, a lot of America didn't wake up until George Floyd was murdered. So the fact that it still happens and it happened again, I mean, I, I don't understand how it led to that. These cops supposedly were not wearing cameras, right? Their body cams. They let the man walk into his car without trying to subdue him if there was any kind of fear. And then you're shooting him seven times at that range. In the back. In the back. I don't understand any of it. I don't honestly understand any of it. But, yeah, if I'm a player, I don't know. I would. It would be very hard to concentrate on basketball. Like, if it wouldn't have been already, it definitely is more so now. So, George Hill's comments in particular ring – really true for me. Um, yeah, I mean, th- this is still obviously a huge problem. Now, I didn't agree with some takes that people were saying, you know, to where the players maybe thought that them going to Orlando was going to change a lot. Like, I know we know these players, David. They're not naive. They, they're very with it when it comes to what's going on socially in this country, right? I mean, let's face it. We know where a lot of them have come from with their backgrounds and growing up and the challenges they've had to overcome. So I don't buy that they went to Orlando thinking, okay, we're going to go there with a decent frame of mind because we feel like we've nipped this in the butt, right? No, to where yeah, not I don't believe that at all. Yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah, so I, I saw some comments like that today. But no, overall, yeah, it's, it's just beyond disheartening. It's got to stop. As we all keep saying, seemingly after tragedy, after tragedy, but it doesn't yet. So we're, we're not doing enough things. That's the bottom line. Not enough things are being done because things have not changed yet. Yeah, now is, again, an inflection point for the players to force the league at the very least. That's the closest hand they can touch is to say, what are you going to do in real and concrete terms to help us stop this? You know, what are you going to support? Are you going to support legislation? Are you going to support candidates? Are you going to do this? Because at some point, I think players are going to ask the questions of their ownership around the league and say, do your values mesh with mine? And if they don't, and the players get the mindset that they've been told for so long that they are replaceable. They are not replaceable. You do not find a LeBron James standing on the street. You do not find uh, Michael Porter Jr. just walking along the grocery aisle. These are elite talents. And if, you know, I think when they realize their power in that regard, that they can't be replaced so easily that I think that they can use that leverage a little um, better. Um, but the main thing is, I think you're right, is this shows that getting back to the entertainment was not going to be enough to heal this country. There's still a lot of work that needs to be done, and these players want to get back to that as well, which I'm glad to see at least that level of emotion and um, uh, passion from them. Yeah, I um, if you haven't watched it, and I just watched it today because I didn't even know about it, but Chris Paul's comments – after the, the Thunder won their last game against the Rockets. Somebody asked, you know, the question on, on the game, and he's like, yeah. And he completely side-skirted talking about the game, analyzing it, and jumped straight, you know, to this shooting in Kenosha, Wisconsin. And it wasn't just that, drawing attention to it. It was the fact that he also took it a step further about not just wanting change, but saying about voting. Once again, bringing up how important it is for everybody. You want real change? Do your part. Everybody can do their part. And so he's calling, of course, on the whole league, every team, make sure you get every single player in that voting booth. But that's what I like seeing probably the most. You've got to take what happens and what some of these players are trying to do, like Jalen Brown, Chris Paul, and trying to basically force it into some meaningful change is what I'm loving seeing here in Orlando, right? I don't know how much of a you know, platform they would have if they weren't in Orlando. I'll be honest with you. Mark Spears talks about this consistently. I saw him again on ESPN saying, look, I understand how painful it is. You're here in the bubble and this is still continuing to happen. But let's face it, you do have this platform that you likely wouldn't have. So get that message out to where you're actually calling for a meaningful change. Don't just reprimand the police, right? But take necessary steps that are going to bring about that change. So like I said, I like what Chris Paul said, because that's what I want to see more of. That's what they can do. 
Yeah, and I liked what Fred Van Vliet said too, is like, don't put all this on us either. You know, like you in the media and you as America, you've got to do your job. Like you have to change this. It's not on us to solve it. We're angry about it. It's, it's on us to put the pressure on, but we didn't create the problem. It's, it's up to the institutions to start fixing these problems. And it, I think that has to be pushed back too, is that you have to make that commitment that um, it's not just on the, it's really shouldn't be on the oppressed to fix, fix their oppression. It's supposed to be on those who are doing the wrong to get right. So we'll see if that happens, but yeah, it's, Especially, I always have to make sure I say, especially a WNBA, because they have been the most consistent in dealing with these things on a number of fields um, and taking on a whole different set of pushback than their male counterparts are. But the NBA and the WNBA as a whole, their players associations have by and large done a fantastic job in dealing with this and these tragedies through this this whole thing and in keeping those players safe during the, this uh, pandemic. Yeah. Um, one other thing I think, David, you probably should have mentioned, because I know he's one of your favorites, right? Kobe Bryant's birthday and then everything that we saw. I know that what happened with Wisconsin really took a lot of shine and talk mm-hmm. away from remembering Kobe. But, you know, to me, it touches my heart, especially because he was one of my favorites. I almost shared the same birthday as him. Mine came one day later. But of course, 824 will forever ring as the day people remember Kobe because those are two uniforms he wore. So that's my birthday. So I spent a lot of yesterday thinking about Kobe, actually, and just what he meant and what his life represented and, and what people are choosing to take away from his life. I don't know if you've read, Allen Iverson wrote a really great yeah, piece I read it. at the Players' mm-hmm. Tribune. So if you haven't read that yet, guys, please go read it. The one, the one thing that makes it hard, because you know how much you know, I'm a fan of Kobe Bryant, is the tone of the Nike commercial there's so much I like about it, but there's something I miss um, that I think for people who, you know, are still, and, and it is relevant to discuss his, his, his um, situation in Colorado with the sexual assault that was um, dismissed um, with prejudice, but there was a civil settlement and an admission of some wrongdoing by Kobe Bryant. I think we do have to remember to keep that as as part of the story too, because I think it's unfair to people who are victims of sexual assault to um, just pretend. And I don't think Kobe would have done that either. I think uh, Kobe Bryant himself would, would not run from those things. And I don't, I don't want us to do what we do so often in death is forget the lessons that we learn from people's worst moments in their lives too. Um, And the bad decisions that they've made, um, whether he, you know, assaulted her or not he put himself in a position to put her in a position where they felt like something really wrong happened Mm -hmm. and um you know i think that that we should learn the lessons but let's not we we should be learning from the statues that we're trying to take down that we should never make a person too big right especially in the immediacy of their passing Let's let's learn the lessons. Let's absorb them. Let's take on all the great things that you do get from Kobe. But there are lessons to be learned as a negative too, for him. And that's not just not the only one. Same with any of our heroes. The Michael Jordan thing was you know documentary was just as revealing for his the things I would never want to be like Mike, um, as much as the things that you wish you could have as a competitor. So, um, but yeah, absolutely, his influence is greater than I think any of us would have thought. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, even I guess because we lived in it, it's 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 not in athletic terms. It's we hadn't seen something like that. You know, a, a player relatively just passed. Um, there, I mean, like I guess you would have to say Roberto Clemente is the closest thing we've had in America. But even then, he was a Puerto, you know, Puerto Rican. It wasn't the same. But so I guess it's something that we haven't really had in our lifetime. Is an athlete still at the peak or near peak of their fame? and then just disappear and then see this, the, the cultural touchstone that they are and, and, and will continue to be. It's like, it's Kobe Bryant has become something bigger than, than Kobe Bryant at this point. Yeah, he really has. No, well said on all that. I, um, I, I do want to say that it feels like Kobe's going to be, say people are talking, reflecting back on the past 25 years from now, I feel like Kobe's going to be talked about, remembered more 
than maybe even Michael Jordan, shockingly to me. But that's the way I, I just feel like it's going, right? Anyways. Well, he might be become he might Jordan becomes the maybe the Wilt Chamberlain or the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar yeah. for that right. generation. The way mm-hmm. I still say, you know, you're not going to have these conversations without Jabbar. Somebody in the next uh, when it's going to be, you're not going to have these conversations without Jordan. That's just going to be. Yeah. Well, I guess next time, guys, we'll get to what like coaching, real coaching individual searches and what we think and who we like and stuff because you've got a good piece right now up on the Burr Rice guys check it out it's on David Fisdale most of New York has already responded <laughs> to that tweet to where they're they didn't <laughs> read it like, <laughs> they don't read it and it's the third one on our site and we're going to be going through a whole host of names and for each one and I've said this from the outset there are pluses and minuses with every candidate yes. that you bring and everything that you say, any party who says, this is the profile. I want a young, innovative coach. I can show you one that's failed. I want a guy who's coming up from the, I can show you one that's failed. Whatever kind you say, I can show you one that's failed. And I can also show you one that's failed before that ended up becoming a champion later on. So it's, it's, there's so much that goes into it. I'm not married and neither are you. I don't think to any candidate, no. There are philosophical things that I want to see more than right. anything else. Yep, I've got a big list. But we know kind of who we're chasing. So I, I think that's the biggest take from everything we put out in terms of our coaches that we kind of do favor, right, David? There's a certain kind of mental and approach and – or mentality, I should say, and approach and stuff with a coach that we want to see replace Alvin Gentry. Absolutely. Absolutely. Ali, they know how to follow you at Ali Costell on Twitter and on Instagram. They know how to follow me at DM Grub. And I will tell you this, the store, the hard to pay store is changing because we're adding, we're moving a lot of stuff over to redbubble.com now. So the prices are actually a little bit better on some of the things. And we're going to keep the caps and those kind of stuffs over on the other store because Redbubble doesn't do those kinds of things. We'll keep some of the shirts as well, but we have more variety and things that you can do. Shower curtains, bath mats, all kinds of stuff. Coffee mug, whatever you want. You can do it now. So that'll be cool. So check it out. Um, I'll have the link up on Twitter and I'll have it on my website, all those places as well. So for Ali Cosell and myself, David Grubb, this has been another edition of Hard to Paint and I will talk to you soon.